0: Welcome to the Cruciform Life Church podcast, featuring the weekly sermons from our Sunday gathering. Please visit us online at www.cruciformlifechurch.org for more information. Please stand with me as we hear God's Word in reverence to the Word of God. We will be in Genesis 48, and Genesis 49.
1: That's quite a passage to study today. But I hope that by looking at this passage from 35,000 feet above, we can see the beauty
0: of God's sovereignty. So follow along with me. I might be jumping a lot of these verses because this would be a long read. Chapter 48, verse 1, after this, Joseph was told, Behold, your father was ill. So he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And it was told to Jacob, Your son Joseph has come to you. Then Israel summoned its strength and sat up in bed. And Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan, and blessed me, and said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you and will make of you a company of peoples and will give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. Jump with me to verse 8. When Israel saw Joseph's son, he said, Who are these? Joseph said to his father, They are my sons whom God has given me here. And he said, bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age so that he could not see. So Joseph brought them near him and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face. And behold, God has let me see your offspring also. Then Joseph removed them from his hands and he bowed himself with his face to the earth. Joseph took them both, Ephraim and his right, and towards Israel's left hand, and Manasseh and his left hand toward Israel's right hand, and brought them near him. And Israel stretched out his hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim's right hand and laid it on the hand of head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand on the head of Manasseh, crossing his hands. And he blessed Joseph. Jump with me, verse 17. When Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him, and he took his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, Not this way, my father, since this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also shall become a people, and he also shall be great. Nevertheless, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his offspring shall become a multitude of nations. So he blessed them that, they saying, But you, Israel, will pronounce blessings, saying, God, make you as Ephraim and Manasseh. Thus he put Ephraim before Manasseh. Jump to chapter 49 and verse 1. Then Jacob called his sons and said, Gather yourselves together, that I may tell you what shall happen to you in days to come. So these are the blessings that he gave to Each and every son of his. Let me just focus on his blessing to Judah. Read with me verse 8 down to verse 12. Judah, your brother shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's son shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down, he crouched as a lion. And as a lioness, who dares rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Binding his fold to the vine, and his donkey's is cold to the choice vine. He washed his garments in wine, his vesture in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than white and his feet whiter than milk. Jump to verse 28. All this were the tribes of Israel. This is what their father said to them as he blessed them, blessing each one with a blessing suitable to him.
1: Our gracious and heavenly father, we revere your word and we submit to your word. We pray that you'll give us a heart
0: who will receive your word with meekness. Would you please illumine our hearts and our minds. Right now, this is not an intellectual exercise. Right at this moment, Lord, your people worship you. And what we are about to do
1: is part of our worship. And we need your grace. Amen. We take your seats.
0: Let me simply start by reading our title, God's Sovereign Choice of an Eternal Savior and King. And that truth demands that we put our faith in the Lord, that we hold on and embrace the promises of God. Well, there were surely a lot of promises a lot of promises, or sorry, a lot of stories that we studied so far from the book of Genesis, didn't we? Uh, from uh, from a sacrifice of one's own son, to denying of the wife twice, uh, to fighting over the birthright, the blessing of the father, um, to killing the whole Basically, the whole village, because of their uh, sister Dinah was raped, we studied a host of stories. We have to understand that after the fall, there is only one hope. There is only one covenant. There is only one redemptive plan that the book of Genesis progressively teach us. Just one, just one. In all of these details, everyone are standing in one promise. In fact, it is this one hope, it never changed. It is this one hope that the Bible continued to develop until the end of the scripture. The seed of the woman. Uh, Allow me this day because this is second to the last preaching of the book of Sermon. A book of Genesis. I want us to see the big picture of the book of Genesis. The seed of the woman who would crush the head of the serpent. The reason why God promised Noah that he would not destroy men anymore or wipe out men anymore the way he did through the flood, which was universal. The covenant that God made with Abraham and passed on to Isaac, To Jacob, and now to the sons of Jacob, Israel as a nation, is particularly pointing to uh, the son of Judah, who will become the Redeemer, who will become, who will show that he is actually the seed of the woman who will crush the head of the serpent. We're talking about one person. We're talking about one covenant. We're talking about one promise here. Not many promises, just one promise. And we learned that this last section of the book of Genesis, Genesis 37 to 50, Israel started to become a nation because in the first place, the plan of God is really to form a nation, a people, uh, composed of many nations. Composed of people from different races, that has been the plan of God. So, in Genesis thirty-seven to fifty, these nation, the Israel is starting to become a nation, though again, in its infant stage. No, the people of God nasa baby papa at this point. Particularly, Genesis chapter forty-six, we see that that Jacob started to exhibit. The quality of a leader. So that for Moses, Moses is like saying when he wrote it, I can now call you Isaac. Uh, you're no longer the supplanter, the deceiver that you were. I can call you now as Israel, uh, the leader of the nation. The name which this nation will be named after. Now as they were forming to be a nation, so when they na uh, parang isang nation, it is clearly communicated, or Moses beautifully and clearly communicated, that if this nation would grow, even the formation of this nation, it will only be through the blessing of God. Or as we always look at the whole scripture, it is through the presence of God. No other way for this to happen but the presence of God. And though we were not able, I'm sorry for that, we were not able to touch closely, chapter 47, 13 to 26, uh, because we are down to the last two sermons. And uh, as we uh, have uh, the month of Juno- February, we will now start our new series. So we're not, we do not have time to touch on that. We understand that in Genesis chapter 47, you may want to read that one, in Genesis 47 we know that the that the famine was so severe and everyone else became a slave to Pharaoh. <clears throat> everyone else <clears throat> they were they said they do not have food and Joseph said so kung wala na kayo kayong pagkain sell me your lands. And when they sold their lands they ate everything and they went back to Joseph and said Why would we die if we don't have anything to eat? And Joseph said, okay, this is what we're going to do. You'll become a slave to Pharaoh. You will be planting steel in the land, but uh, 20% will go to, to Pharaoh because you are now workers of Pharaoh. That was what was going on. But Israel, or the family of Jacob, went down to Egypt not as slaves. In fact, the only group of people in Egypt who were not slaves to Pharaoh, were the priests, because we were told in Genesis 47, 20-22, they received their allowances from Pharaoh. And it is to that way that Pharaoh also provided for the family of Jacob, which means they were even treated like priests in a foreign land. And nothing can explain to that but the presence of God. The favor and blessing of God to this group of people. Now it sets us, Genesis 47 sets us the theme of blessing. As we approach 48 and 49 this morning, we are already set that 48 and 49 will talk about blessings. The word bless or blesses or blessed or blessing are mentioned more than 10 times in these two chapters. It is clear that this chapter is talking about blessings. And this corresponds particularly to the blessings that Jacob was giving to his sons before he would die. It's right. In their custom, uh, before the father dies, he need to be able to give blessings. Or for us today, if you're rich, before you die, you need to make sure that you have your will And testament. It's now to pass, time to pass on your wealth. And that's funny there. We will look at that that later. So Joseph was about to die. In fact, look at chapter 47, 27 to 31 in your scripture. It's now talking about this request of Joseph to be buried in Canaan. And if you jump to chapter 49, starting verse 20 to chapter 50, verse 40, it also talks about this time when Joseph, Jacob finally died and was buried in Canaan. So it's like a, a bookend talking about the death and it's interrupted in between to talk about blessings. This is the passage that we will be talking about today. And In these blessings, we will see the sovereign choice of God. We will see the sovereign choice of God in spite of the fact that Jacob was giving his blessing out of his own volition. And I want to show you later that according to the performance of his son, he gives his blessing. That's crazy because he looks at at Simeon and Levi and said, you killed the village, this is... This is what will happen to you. At the end of the day, everything falls under the will of God. We have been learning in the book of Genesis how God can still accomplish His will, though man makes choices. He will still accomplish His will, though man makes choices. So here's where we will circle around today. Here's my message today. Here's my statement today. God's sovereign choice of an eternal savior and king guarantees, guarantees the fulfillment of his one and eternal covenant. Highlight the word sovereign. God's sovereign choice of an eternal savior and king guarantees the fulfillment of his one and eternal covenant. As I've said earlier, this truth demands that we show genuine faith to this promise of God. In his book, I actually did not read this book. I just saw the post of Eric. I saw that post. I said, this is a fitting post. And I started um, researching Pastor Richard Wormbrand. And I learned that he was a pastor who suffered during the World War II. And he wrote some books. One of them is Tortured for Christ. And he said on that book, a man really believes not what he recites in his creed, but only the things he is ready to die for. What a remarkably different view of faith. Now I want to invite you to examine because real faith means you are willing to die for that faith. And it's a very different Take about faith because today faith is coming to church on Sunday. Faith is name it, claim it. Oh, to say the least, faith has become very comfortable and convenient. You can claim that you have faith, but you have never served God. A lot of us claim to have faith, but we continue with our lives. That's not the faith that we find in scripture. Put your name in Hebrews chapter 11. And read these people and put your name in there if it fits. Read the book of Acts. And as you read the book of Acts, you see the normative life of the people, of of the the apostles. And then put your name on Acts 29. There's no Acts 29. Acts 28. And your story is on, on Acts 29. Do you think that your story fits in The normative story of the lives of God's people. Church, we want to call us today because faith, the world has defined faith for the Christians instead of the word of God defining what faith really is. We'll be looking at that later on. Why I said that it is fitting for the church to be willing to die for its eternal hope. It is fitting for the church to be willing to die for his eternal hope. We'll be looking at the sovereignty of God's choice, particularly his choice to provide an eternal Savior and King. And just to give you an overall picture of 48 and 49, 48 teaches God's choice is sovereign. And then as we get into 49, we realize that it is God's choice for an eternal King and Savior Is Sovereign. That's our main points this morning. Let's look at the first one. God's choice is sovereign. Despite that Jacob missed his choice, his choices aligned to the will of God. Now for the sake of time, I will just narrate the story and point out things that prove the sovereignty of God or the sovereignty or freedom of God's choice. As a dying man, Jacob was supposed to give his blessing, his inheritance to his sons, chapter 49. But before that one, there was something he needs to settle. And that's chapter 48. He will be giving the birthright. So remember, in that, in that custom, one of the sons will have the birthright. And customary, it should supposed to be given to the firstborn. But here we are told that the double portion of the blessing he gave to Joseph. Joseph upon learning that his dad was about to die. Strange because we are told here in chapter 48 verse 1, the moment he was told of that, he brought his two sons with him. And although Joseph Oh, sorry, Jacob in verse 8 would have to ask, Who are these? I don't think it's a question that says, I don't know them and I haven't seen them all my life. Because remember, Jacob lived another 17 years in Egypt. They've
1: seen
0: each other several times. It's probably because in verse 10, we are told that the eyes of Jacob were dim. No, matanda na po si Jacob but J- Joseph must have brought the sons for the blessing and Jacob Joseph might have known already and even the rest of the sons that the double portion will be given to Joseph one I say that one because you cannot see the reaction of Luban if they did not talk about this one prior to this how do you think Ruben would, would react? Like, there's something wrong here. You're about to give the, the birthright, the double blessing, but you're giving it to Joseph. Takalang, I'm the eldest. You cannot see that one there. In fact, scholars believe that verses 3 to 7, maybe verse 2 to 7, or verse 3 to 7 is inserted. Or ito po ang po ng mga scholars na anachronistic. Anachronistic po is, itong pangyayari na ito ay hindi po itong time na ito. This happened before the, in the before this dying day or dying moment of uh, Jacob. It was inserted here by Moses for theological purposes. Moses wanted us to sh- wanted to show us that the foundation of the blessings he will give to his father is the covenant that he received or he inherited from his father Isaac and from his father Abraham. This is the same covenant. And Jacob might have been so excited. We know that in all of the story of the book of Genesis, we already knew that his favorite son is who? Joseph. So that, when he heard that Joseph was coming, Jacob mastered strands according to verse 2, although hina na really siya, to sit down so he can give the blessing. He can give the blessing. If a father today would give his will and testament, would you give an inheritance to your children things that you do not own, would you? Like, my son, I'm going to give you William Monica as your inheritance. Something wrong with that. But notice carefully that the inheritance that Jacob was about to give them, and we do not have time, but itong Blessing Pudito, if you will put it in Joshua chapter 19 and 18, it corresponds to where they were placed. But they did not own that land. Like I'm giving you will and testament and that, is that ours? You know the answer of Jacob? It's not ours, but God promised it to us. Oh wow, will and testament based on the promise. It's not ours. Now we're beginning to sense that the book of Genesis is about a promise. And the people of God has always been called to believe on the promise. And it has not changed. It's very important to note that God's people have always lived by faith. We lived by the promises of God. We do not live by sight. We do not live with what we see and what we have in our hands. We live by the promise. We don't own a, we don't own a land, but we claim that we will eventually inherit the earth. We, still, we are still in this world, but we believe that we are already saved. We do not have much, but we believe that we have enough. We have been living by the promises of God, and there is no That is consistent in all of Scripture. All of Scripture. I just have to put that as a little bit of a sidebar. Jacob simply affirmed the covenant of God that he inherited from his fathers. Let me quickly read verse 3 and 4 just to remind us of this covenant that God gave to Abraham. And Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at loose in the land And blessed me and said to me, behold, this is the Abrahamic covenant. I will make you fruitful. It's a promise of the blessing. I will make you, I will and multiply you. That's the blessing. And I will make you a company of people. So remember again, I don't have to go back there. We don't have time. We have to cover two chapters today. Um, That the promise is not really Israel alone. But through the offspring of Abraham, the one offspring of Abraham, nations will be part of that nation, which we know the church today. And will give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. It's also good to be reminded that Jesus is at the heart of this promise because the blessing, the people's, and the eternal inheritance are secured through his life, death, and resurrection. Jesus is at the heart of the Abrahamic covenant. Jesus is at the heart of the Davidic covenant. And Jesus even is at the heart of the promise that God gave to Adam in Genesis 3.15. The whole Bible is about Jesus. Now before starting to point why we say God's sovereign um, God's choice is sovereign. There are things that we need to settle. Some some things. Lambo. Very quickly. Jacob adopted, basically, the two sons of Joseph, Manasseh and Ephraim. And God said, that too is mine. If you will have any sons after them, that's yours. But your first two sons will be mine. That's why he said, they will become mine like Ruben and Simeon. And in verse 6, he said, They shall be called by my name of their brothers, by the name of their brothers in their inheritance. Or, in other words, they will be treated like my own sons. Now, by doing this, the tribes become how many? 13. So, why would there be 13 tribes? There were 12 brothers. Two will get will be given two portions, um, Joseph, uh, I, Ephraim and Manasseh. So we're there, 13 tribes. So we know that Joseph or Reuben will be forfeited, first and foremost, he will be forfeited of his birthright because he slept with his father's concubine. In 2 Chronicles 5, verses 1 and 2, it reads, The sons of Ruben, the firstborn of Israel. For he was the firstborn, but he, def- because, but because he defiled his father's couch, his birthright was given to the sons of Joseph, the son of Israel, son of Israel, so that he could not be enrolled as the oldest son. He will not be enrolled, but he is still part, or he will not be the firstborn son, or treated as the firstborn son, but he will still be apart. Though Judah became strong among his brothers and a chief came from him, yet the birthright belonged to Joseph. So how do we make sense of this? Now we know that in the blessing of Jacob to Levi and Simeon, in chapter 49, verse 7, we are told that they will be scattered. Simeon was scattered in the sense that yung kanila pong inheritance ay nakakain ng inheritance ng Judah. It's like they're losing their identity. That—that That is the sense that they were scattered. You will read that one in Joshua 19 and verse 1. We don't have time, but just look for it by yourself. The question here is about The scattering of Levites. How was the Levites scattered? Now, the Levites will be scattered as well. But they were able to redeem themselves. Remember, when Moses went down from the mountain and he found this... How am I called? The Israelites at that time. This is offensive, but okay. Let me not say that word. Um these Israelites who were dancing around the calf. Remember. And when Moses went down, he was so furious, and he said, Who among you is for the Lord? Kill uh, these people. And remember who stepped out? It was the Levites. It was the Levites who got the sword and began killing these people. And it is to this reason That in Numbers 3, 3, 12 to 13, we read of this. Numbers chapter 3, verse 12 to 13, it reads, Behold, I have taken the Levites from among the people of Israel instead of every firstborn who opens the womb among the people of Israel. The Levites shall be mine, for all the firstborn are mine. On that day that I struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, I consecrated my... Own all the firstborn in Israel, both men and these. They shall be mine. I am the Lord. So the Levites became the Lord's. And they were scattered because they do not have a particular place of their own. They were living in the cities of refuge. Where the priest can minister. At in the cities, they were scattered in that way. So the Levites are now the Lord's. So the 12 tribes, as we know, um, includes Joseph, or Ephraim, and Manasseh, even Simeon. Because the Levites are actually separated from God. We just have to make that one clear. Now I want to point out three things that point to the truth that God is sovereign in the story. First, this story reminds us of Jacob's deception of Isaac. It reminds us of Jacob's deception of Isaac, verse 10, verse 8 to 10. When Israel saw Joseph's sons, he said, who are this? Joseph said to his father, they are my sons whom God has given me here. And he said, bring them to me, please that I may bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age so that he could not see. So Joseph brought near him and kissed them and embraced them. That's part of the ritual. Anything that comes into my, into the mind as we read that one. Remember, Moses is a good way of bringing something in the past. It's a pattern. And it's way, it's way of reminding us that this is exactly what happened when Isaac gave his blessing to Jacob. When Isaac's eyes were also dim and the only Difference is that there is no deception here. All were good. So this story already signals us that like the time when Isaac gave his blessing, though Jacob, though deceived, yet Jacob was God's choice. Crazy because it was through deception, yet at the end of the day, it was Jacob was God's choice. The giving of birth right here is about God's sovereign choice to give His blessing to Joseph. Second thing in the story that points to God's choice is sovereign is that Jacob blessed the younger over the older. Joseph brought his two sons. He positioned them rightly. Um, Manasseh should be here at the right of Jacob. And Ephraim, the younger, should be on the left hand of Jacob, but then when Jacob prayed, he crossed his hands. Verse 17, let me read this. When Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. And he took his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, Not this way, my father, since this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But the father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also shall become a people and he also shall be great. Nevertheless, his younger brother shall be greater than he and his offspring shall become a multitude of nations. So he blessed them that day, saying, By you, Israel, will pronounce Blessing, saying, God make you Ephraim. And as Manasseh. And the rest of verse 20 says, Does he put Ephraim before Manasseh? Again, this reminds us of a story in the past, isn't it? When the older serves the younger. Remember Esau. And Jacob, right, when, we were, when they were born, the Lord said to their, their mother, Sarah, oh, sorry, who's the, who's the wife of, of Isaac? Rebecca. Um, said to Rebecca in Genesis 25, 23, and the Lord said to her, two nations in your womb and two peoples from within you, Shall be divided. The one shall be stronger. The older than the older, the older shall serve the younger. And Paul quoted this one and then expounded it by quoting Moses in the book of, in the book of Romans. He said, This is what, this is why Moses also said, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. God is really free to choose. That is the right of God, intrinsic right of God, to choose freely. If he wants to buy something, he is not like me, that I would still have to consult my wife and say, can I buy this? And Malu, even if he's, she's in Davao or wherever her, her company brings her, and even if it's an allowance from the company which she saved, in order that she can buy a blouse or anything. Before she would do that one, she would call me and say, Dad, I saved my allowance from the company. Can I buy this? Now, God would not phone call us and say, Can I choose you? Now this is an intrinsic right of God to freely choose. God is sovereign in His choices. If God is control of everything, think about it. If God is control of everything, why can't he have control over his choices? If we are quick to say that God is in control even of the speck of dust, and if he has the highest authority, why can't he make free decisions? And most especially that Every decision of His is in accordance of all His attributes. It is in accordance of all His attributes. His righteousness, His holiness, His justice, His perfect wisdom, His love, His mercy, His grace, even His wrath. Because God is simple. God is one. The doctrine of God is one means God is not a sum total of His attributes. That's not who God is. He is not a sum total of His attributes. God is one there is no division in him when he acts when he decides when he does things all of this are like a symphony working together in perfect harmony i don't know if i can describe it to you well and if you if it makes sense but there is no nothing no struggle within him like if i'll do this what about my justice He would not take time. He would not be walking around his room and say, if I do this, what about my righteousness? He does not have to balance it. He's not a sum total of his attributes. He is one. So God is not just free to make decisions, but all his decisions are righteous and good. Very quickly, we should trust God for all His choices, isn't it? Isn't that tell us if we should trust Him in all His choices? I like the fact that Ruben did not complain or Simeon did not complain that they were because they were older than Joseph. It is the right picture of trusting the choices of God. We not only submit to the choices of God, but we worship God because of His choices, isn't it? We not only submit to the choice, we worship because if He did not choose you, if He did not make a choice to send His Son, where would we be? Especially now again that we see the greatest choice, the greatest choice He has ever made, we choose from eternity past to provide us an eternal king and savior. This brings us to our second point. God's choice of an eternal savior and king for the fulfillment of his covenant is sovereign. It is still sovereign after Jacob gave the birthright to Joseph, he will now give his blessings to all his sons, the 12 tribes of Israel. The one, Abraham, has now become a nation. Notice that Isaac, when Esau pleaded, do you have any other blessing? And and Isaac said, I only have one blessing, my son. But here, he'll be giving blessings to his 12 sons. But make no mistakes. He has no 12 blessings. He has one blessing enjoyed by 12 sons. Are you getting me? That is why we are reminded that this is still flowing from the covenant of Abraham. Like like us, Genesis 3.14 there are already many of us, but still Paul brought us there that there are no two, three blessings. There's only one blessing. He said, so that the Gentiles will receive the blessings that God gave to Abraham. That the blessing that we are enjoying as a church, as a people of God today is the blessing of Abraham centered on Christ And I'm sure that you do not want me to explain every blessing here, do you? Twelve blessings? uh, That would mean twelve sermons. Let me just give three general observations. So we would capture what Moses wants us to see here. Three general observations which point to the truth of God's sovereignty in choosing for an eternal Savior and King. First observation, the blessings are consequences of the actions of Jacob's sons. they were consequences. Jacob somewhat gave to his sons what he thought they deserved. What he thought they deserved. Look at verse 3 and 4. He told Reuben. He told Reuben that he will not have preeminence. Look at verse 4. He said, Unstable as water, you shall not have preeminence. Or you will not be treated as a firstborn. And the reason is that he slept with Bilha. To get the rest of verse 4. Because you have went up to your father's bed. Then you defiled it. You went up to my couch. So the blessing that he gave to um, Luban... Is basing on the life of Rubek. Look at verse five to seven with regards to Simeon. Simeon and Levi will be scattered. Verse five. Simeon and Levi are brothers with weapon of violence or their swords. Let my soul come out come into their council. Oh my glory, be not joined to their company. For in their anger they killed men. And their willfulness, they hamstrung the oxen. They killed the men in, in Shechem. Remember, they said, we, we will only be one with you if all your male will be circumcised. And when they were all in pain, they came in and started killing the males of the land. That's why in verse 7, he said, Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. That's why they're scattered. They were, their inheritance was within the people of Judah. And we already mentioned how Judah was old. Sorry. Now in verses 8 to 12, this is Judah's blessing. Blessing. Although this went beyond what Judah deserved, but notice that Judah went to become the leaders of of his sons when he sacrificed his life, or at least offered his life, for the sake of his father and of his brother Simeon. And that's why he was given such... Now, there are not much details about the brother's and what their life and how it corresponds. But scholars are saying, and one on this, that all things that has been said there is in accordance to their lives. Consequence. That is why, look at chapter 48, verse 28. It says, this is Moses' comment of all these blessings. All these were the tribes of Israel. This is what their father said to them as he blessed them, blessing each one with the blessing suitable, suitable to them. So I just want to point out that Jacob gave blessing in a sense according to his volition, like giving them what they deserve. All of these blessings, second, and I'll be quick on this, we will spend more time on the third uh, thing that we observe here. The second thing is that the blessings were mostly earthly in nature. All earthly. In fact, the other blessing that's so great is that of Joseph. If you look at, let me quickly read Joseph's blessing, starting from verse 22. Joseph is a beautiful, a fruitful bow. Bow is a main branch. A fruitful bow by a spring. His branches were running over the wall. The archers bitterly attacked him, shot at him, and harassed him severely. Yet his bow remained unmoved. By his arms were made agile. By the hands of the mighty God, one of Jacob. God bless. Uh, Joseph, by the God of your fathers who will help you, and by the Almighty who will bless you with the blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that crouches beneath, blessings of the breast and of the womb. So you can sense that it will be a great blessing. And this was fulfilled when even the northern kingdom was called Ephraim several times. It means Ephraim became the leader of the northern kingdom. He became great. But at some point, The rule of the northern kingdom was destroyed. It was still earthly. This leads us to the third observation. The blessing of Judah went beyond his action and is eternal in nature. It is eternal in nature. Moses always, always helped us to see the focus by spending five verses for Judah which is a great blessing, and then five verses for Joseph. But then we see that Judah's blessing will be greater than Joseph. It already tells us here that the main focus in chapter 49 is the blessing that God gave to Judah. Now let's focus on Judah. Verse 8. Judah, your brothers, shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, batakapalang, you have gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion and as a lioness, who dares rouse him? I haven't seen uh, a lioness and agitate her and how she gets hungry. The only thing I see is a dog and get his puppy, get her puppy, and you'll see that the dog would become wild. the mother. That's exactly what we're seeing there. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler stop from between his feet until tribute comes to him. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Now we're beginning to sense this is not just Judah here. Binding his fold to the vine, his dunk is coat to the choice wine, he washed his garments in wine, and his vesture in blood of grapes, his dark his eyes are darker than wine, and his feet whiter than milk. Things to observe. First, Judah will rule. This is not hard to see, isn't it? Judah will rule. According to verse 8, his hand will be on the neck of his enemies. In fact, his brothers will bow down to him. He is likened to a lion. Even today, the lion is considered the king of the jungle. Thus, the question at the end of verse 9, who dares to rouse him? In verse 10, the sift scepter is a symbol of authority. That Judah, somewhat, would be a king. Second, the blessing will flow from Judah. The blessing will flow from Judah. Verses 11 to 10 is a picture of abundant blessing. Abundant wine from the vine. The expression... In verse 11, saying, He washed his garments in wine and his gesture, or sorry, vesture in the blood of grapes. It's a figure of speech called hyperbole. So, hyperbole po, exaggeration. Para makita po natin yung point. Isipin mo kung naglalaba ka, tapos ang gamit mo sa paglaba, sa sobrang yaman, wine. Sobrang yaman na talaga. Pag bukas mo ng faucet, wine yung lalabas non. It is a picture of abundant blessing, wine overflowing. Now some would insist that the wine here talks about God's wrath. Well, even if it means the wrath of God, it still talks about blessing because When God's wrath will be fully displayed, it is a great blessing to the righteous because our hope is tied to the day when God judges everything. Isn't it? We will never be free from all corruptions until Jesus comes and kills all his enemies. So whether wherever you go, it speaks of the fact that blessing will flow from Judah. And thirdly, because Judah will rule, not only his brothers will bow to him, verse 8, but tribute and abundance will be given him by all nations. Notice, last thing, before I go to my point, notice that this king is the Savior. Are you ready for this? Moses, that's why I love Moses. I love the way he writes. He knew how to, he knew how to deliver his message. Moses used a here when you think about what's kayasam. So think of a greater done. And Moses arranged it that way. The most important thing is this here, the center. Okay, the center. And the center is in verse 18. There is something out there that's not supposed to be there. In verse 18, that's the point of the chasm, that's the center of the chiastic arrangement of this poetry, where Moses put a prayer, and the prayer is this I will wait for your salvation, O Lord, to show that the king from the lion of Judah, who will reign forever, is also the savior. The king and the savior are one. And the same person. You don't need a, pers- a pastor nor a theologian to tell you as to whom is this pointing to. Isn't it? He will rule. The blessing will flow from him. And every da- everyone will bow down to him. And he is your savior. The blessing given to Judah is so much, sobra-sobra, for his offer of life, for his father's sake and Simeon. Indeed, the blessing corresponds to the one to whom his sacrificial acts, to whom the sacrificial act of Judah in Genesis 44 is pointing to. It pointed to the one who not only offered his life, but really gave his life Not only to his biological father and brother, but for all for all whom the Father in heaven has chosen throughout all generations, so that the nations will now be composed by nations. The one who would not just who would not have who would not just suffer from the hand of Joseph, but from the hand of his father, who is more loving than Joseph. So that he knew for himself that the same love that he has for those whom he died for is the same love that fueled the Father to send him on earth. That everyone who believes in him shall not perish. The book of Genesis is about Jesus. Make no mistake about it, it is not about Noah. It is not about Abraham. It is not about Isaac. It is not about Jacob. It is not about Joseph. It is about Jesus. For Jesus alone can fulfill the covenant. No wonder to this Savior and King, the Son of God, the Psalm, the psalmist in Psalm 2, verse 7 to 8 says, The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. He's the Savior. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. Very dear, The prophecy given to Judah points to the Lord Jesus Christ to whom the Bible calls the lion Of the tribe of Judah, whose kingdom is not like that of Joseph through Ephraim, which was destroyed, but will continue, as Genesis 49, verse 10 says, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Paul echoed that. Paul didn't echo that saying in Philippians chapter 2, verse 9 to 11, Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He is the only one who fulfilled the covenant. So don't live like it is about you. The church is not about us. Don't live like you are the king. We're not kings. We obey the Lord. Don't live like you own your life still. We pay tribute and obedience to the one who uphold the covenant the point is clear. God's choice of an eternal Savior and King for the fulfillment of His covenant is sovereign. Which leads us to, again, to our main message. God's sovereign choice of an eternal Savior and King guarantees the fulfillment of His one and eternal kingdom. See, the fulfillment of God's plan lies on the hand of the sovereign God. And in its most basic sense, sovereignty means a control of everything. But are you moved to hear that God is in control of everything? It's like, I've heard that. I can quote that. You're not moved. Your heart is not moved. How about this? Anyone, let's look at it in the negative, anyone who has no control even to a single speck of dust, anyone who has no control even to the smallest dot, is not sovereign. Now we get the idea. When we talk about the sovereignty of God, it blows our mind. Because could there be anyone, could there be anyone who holds even this speck of dust? Look, if you're hiring for a job and the, and the, and the qualification is that we will hire you if you are in control of the smallest dust, no one will qualify. Because no one can control everything, especially to the smallest dot, And yet this is the truth about our God. He cannot be sovereign. We We cannot call Him sovereign if He does not have absolute, total, complete
1: control of the dust. Now if it is the God whom we serve and
0: who promised to us, is there anything that he cannot do? It is for this reason. Look at the book of Genesis. It's all about promise. And then you would realize why. In every verse of the book of Genesis, and in every story of the book of Genesis, you cannot understand it without the lens of sovereignty. Because the promise can
1: only be sure if the God who promised is sovereign. That is why, think about this:
0: Abram died, and he only had the cave at Machpelah as his possession. The promise is you will have the land, and now mamamatay na ako cave at lang ginagamit lang nila yon for burial. And Jacob was about to die. How can I be sure that the promise will be fulfilled? Joseph will die. David will die. Everyone else will die. How then can we be sure that this promise that we're holding on will be completed? The book of Genesis teaches us everything every passage so god is sovereign god is sovereign because you can go down to your sleep at peace believing and resting that while i am now dying this promise will come true because my god is in control or even with a dust no wonder then when we go into scripture we are told by the writer of the book of hebrews we feel sure of better things things that belong to our salvation. Hebrews 6, 9. That is why Paul can say this, I am confident of this. I am sure of this, that we who begun a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. That's why Paul said, sin all you want. I hope you're not as believers. But neither sin nor death can separate you from the love of Christ. Church, we worship a God who is sovereign. And tomorrow I'll die. And you and I will die. because well, we can sleep well in our coffin, trusting that God will fulfill His promise. That's why we're called to faith.
1: And remember, the
0: writer of the book of Hebrews says, And faith is being, is being assured of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. How sure are you of full redemption? Now let me follow up a question. Does your life show that you're sure of your redemption? If you are confident of your redemption, you live for that redemption. You don't live here on earth. If you live here on earth, then you're saying
1: that the things here on earth is better than the things to come. We should not give a lip service. That's cheap.
0: I could not find it in all of Scripture. We should show our faith and the sovereignty of God to fulfill His promises, especially now that Jesus already died for the fullness of our redemption by our willingness to die for our eternal hope. We cannot just be all talk church. Without action. We cannot just quickly share our faith during dinner with our friends, but we relent to share the gospel when we smell that trouble is ahead of us. Or we can share it with our friends, but we are nowhere to be found when our friends need us to sacrifice something for them, maybe money, time, or whatever they needed. We sometimes just there for if it's comfortable. If we are sure of our hope, and I hope we are, we show it not only with our words, but our willingness to sacrifice for it. We cannot, we cannot casually profess our faith, but we could not sacrifice. I want to repeat it, we could not sacrifice for the self for the sake of helping the spread of the gospel, the work of the Lord, or at least be one with the church as we serve the Lord. I think the best, the best application for this, if we are to show our faith, at the minimum, this is at the minimum, church, at the minimum, understand that you are a part of the family of God. And as part of the family of God, you are part of the work of God. And we cannot sit out and just look at those others serving while we are in our comforts and in our convenience
1: at least we get to start in that because we are certain of our salvation. I want to lead this church to repent before. We cannot continue to live this way. We cannot continue to live with this world. Can we just pause and just Pray individually before God. Just take time. are gracious, sir, whose grace never runs dry, whose forgiveness is beyond our wildest imagination. God would you please put an end to our worldliness? Would you please convict us of still living for our own?
0: Would you fill our hearts with gratitude and thankfulness for the promise that you have gave us in Christ Jesus? Would you change our lives,
1: Lord? And may we all live for you. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Cruciform Life Church
0: Podcast. Check out more gospel-centered messages at www.cruciformlifechurch.org or subscribe to
1: this podcast at Spotify.